listening to Phenomenology Club Radio. Hello and thank you for listening to this audio podcast. I am Buttress, the host of Phenomenology Club, which is an interactive online community of artists and thinkers centered around this content that I create and curate online for us to talk about which is why both our tagline for Phenomenology Club and the subtitle for this discussion series is Talk About It. Most of these uploads are originally streamed live on our YouTube page. If you're interested in interacting with those as they happen live, please go subscribe and turn on the notifications at youtube.com slash phenomenologyclub. And in general, to learn more about our club, what we do, and how you can become a member for only $1 a month, please visit our website at www.phenomenology.club. Thank you for listening. Stay trippy. Okay, we're live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Thursday night. This is Talk About It, Phenomenology Clubs audio podcast and i'm here with my good friend and fellow artist andrew braddock and we're not monitoring ourselves so just a note to the chat if it seems like one of us has drastically different volume can you be a nice person yeah please tell us so that we know and can fix that but welcome andy Hello. <laughs> hey. Welcome, Bethy. <laughs> Thanks. Me and Andy are getting together tonight because we need to practice, or not practice, but maybe talk a bit practice. about um, this performance that we'll be doing soon in Brooklyn. What is it, the o- October 4th? October 4th, Pro Tiv 3. Wait, get closer to the mic, I think. Pro Tiv 3, Civil War. Okay. At uh, It's in Alphabet City. Do you know the name of the venue? Grace Space. Okay. All right. Well, I'll post that when we have it. So if anybody, it's like one eight three Avenue C, maybe. Okay. Well, I'll post it so people can come. Uh, it's kind of last year when we did it. This is the third one. We've done three all together. And last year when we did it, uh, it was kind of like a phenomenology club performance for myself. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so it's very phenomenology club oriented. So you people should come. And it'll be nice and long. It's going to be, yeah, three hours. So Three hours? Yeah, oh, shit. we're going to try to go for three hours. Come for this performance, <laughs> endurance, art. Yeah, so I, I definitely put, like, a clickbaity picture in here because, you know, peop- some of the people who listen to Phenomenology Club know me through Buttress, so I was hoping to, hoping to uh, seduce people into coming here. Uh, by knowing that Andrew is the person who plays Julius Caesar in the Brutus video. That's right. Um, but that's because Andrew is an amazing performance <laughs> artist. Tell us a little bit about what you do, Andy. Uh, I do movement-based performance art. Um, I trained in Buto, which is uh, Japanese dance. that um, came from post-war Japan. Uh... This guy, Tatsumi Hijikata, and now there's all these sort of teachers everywhere. So I was doing that in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I lived in Chicago. We lived in Chicago at the same time. Wait, we uh, did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just for a little bit. In the city. Through Adam, who yeah. will be performing. Yeah. Adam Rose, who's yeah. also in a bunch of my videos. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're doing a lot of improvisation, yeah. which I want to talk about a little bit tonight. 
Yeah, I've but, been. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. You you go. Well, and then late lately, I've been improvising. That's been like something that uh, I've been getting excited about. I've been working with a musician for the first time I've ever kind of just done that where I dance and he plays music, and that's been been getting interesting. With Jake, that process. right? With Jake, the, yeah. The cellist. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Is there anywhere we can like go check out your work online for anyone? I listening? don't think there's any. There might the be hell, like Andy? on my Get YouTube. Get a website. It, what yeah, are you it doing, might be boy? on my on my YouTube. Uh, but I'm not sure if there's anything up there. Well, you better get that. If if I if I get some links from Randy, I'll post them. So are we yeah. at the same volume check? Can yeah. I get how can we, I get feedback? How do we sound? <laughs> I think we are. I'm looking at the levels. Looks pretty good. Okay, but I I didn't know what I wanted to speak to Andy about because there's so many different things we could speak about. <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, someone just mentioned it. Someone said, "Remember to speak in E prime." And oh, this, let me tell you yeah. what's going on. Okay, so <laughs> first of all, members of Phenomenology Club know that right now we're in a <laughs> we're in an emergency state of E prime uh-huh. in one of our channels because. Uh, we're trying to, I'm trying to encourage people to have discussions where they don't insert their own opinions too authoritatively uh-huh. because I noticed that this is when the conversations kind of like hit a brick wall, you know, like right. if we're talking about a thing like Buddhism, which we were last night and why I want nice. to talk to you about this tonight, you know, someone starts talking about like, well, suffering is the thing right. of this, this. And it's like, well, you can't really contest that opinion because someone's just like now inserting this like statement, this, this authoritative statement. Exactly. Yeah. And for anyone listening that doesn't know what E prime is, E prime is a language that was introduced to me by our friend Adam Rose. We were just speaking about. Yep. And it's relevant to the first protive performance we did, too, because that's when I learned about it, because Adam wanted me to do a song in E-Prime, right. which I did, which was very difficult, and I don't think I even did it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> but E-Prime is this language that omits all versions of the verb to be, including the contractions. And actually, I made a chart. Let me pull it up real fa- fast. There's only eight words that are... Uh, these verbs where'd i put it (laughs) people were having a really difficult time (laughs) there we go so it's be am is are was were been being and then all of the associated contractions and if you're in a phenomenology club (laughs) you can reference that list (laughs) and you should because yeah people are struggling with this but the purpose of getting into the purpose of e prime is like we were just saying to promote this idea that everything we experience is subjective you know but it's not done in an effort to necessarily be more accurate or like you know to like make people paranoid about like oh you don't exist or something but i think it's really true that like language the way we use it has a big effect on our internalized affects you know like we use the example in phenomenology club all the time where like if you go out and say in e prime the apple appears red or the apple looks Mm -hmm. red people are going to be like why are you talking like that what's wrong with you you know like should i be wondering if this apple really is red right like it's kind of crazy to what extent like 
using words like is this thing is that yeah and like speaking so authoritatively about everything we experience is like so deeply integrated into our language that a thing like just using other verbs instead of is and and to be becomes like difficult you know but we were trying to have a conversation about buddhism last Mm -hmm. night and suffering and we don't really even know much about it so when you were just telling me about your history uh i thought maybe that would be a fun place to start our conversation yeah so tell us about where you studied buddhism and what you're doing all this yeah uh while you were talking about that though i was thinking because the book that i'm reading right now the like which is a buddhist book by this guy that i like whose name is chogam trungpa Mm -hmm. it's c-o-g or c-h-o-g-y-a-m-t-r-u-n-g-p-a and uh he's a tibetan guy and when he talked there there are transcriptions of his lectures and he always says seems instead of is. So he's like telling people kind of like the Dharma or like his, what he believes to be true, but he's never saying like your ego is this oh. or experience is like this. He's always saying, well, it it seems to be this way. Even though you're like, come on, like you know how it <laughs> is, like you're seeing it, but he always uses that language and I think it's, is that unique to him, or is this like a thing you see often in other Buddhist thinkers as well? Well, this is, I think this is the only book I've ever read that was like transcriptions of lectures. Okay. So, and it, it's kind of interesting to think that like saying, being so certain and saying like this is a, a book, it's, it, it's like projecting more certainty than you have. Right. And it's like this way to like almost make yourself feel secure. Like he talks about it. Someone asked him at one point, they're like, why do you always say seems? And he's talking about how like that kind of certainty and like using language about things existing is like, it, it is like a way of reassuring yourself and like solidifying yourself and mm-hmm. like trying to like, to like, have an ego like maintain an ego yeah so and it sounds like so arbitrary i think like i think if i had heard this a few years ago i'd be like come on like yeah. you're fucking you sound like a douchebag yeah. you know but i think that it's true that we when you like give yourself this confidence that's unmerited like it really does change your world view yeah. you know and it, it's it's in a way that i think can be even harmful to yourself you know i yeah. think that it's very true that you become more open-minded even when you use language like this, you know, because yeah. you start to see, like, more variable possibilities. And yeah. this is very relevant to, like, phenomenology, especially because Husserl, and you're a big right. philosophy guy. Yeah, but, like, with love, his epoche, yeah. epoche mm-hmm. like, the whole, I mean, epoche literally means suspension of judgment. And, like, right. all of phenomenology is structured around trying to find ways to step away to the best of our ability yeah. from what we think we know about the world with the hope that you know other possibilities will show themselves to us right and this is part of a conscious process so i think a thing like changing your language actually yeah. like really is a helpful tool for trying to see things differently you yeah because i feel like w- the phenomenology thing is kind of like what you're saying where it's like listening rather than like thinking or mm-hmm. something or like you're 
you're trying to like like you said suspend so that you can just perceive have like a clear way to perceive what's going on it's not right. clouded by like discursive thought or something right. so it's like listening versus like I don't know, like categorizing or nailing down or yeah. something in language. Like, and it's with the purpose yeah. of being able to think better and yeah. make better yeah. categories. You know? And just explore right. what's going on. Being kind of like, it's like leaving open the question instead of saying like, what the fuck is going on? And then giving it your best guess. You're like leaving that question open and it's just like a exploration right. or something. And in that instead. way, like it it sounds like it's some like hippy dippy bullshit. But yeah. I think <laughs> it's and who Searle thought this as well and this is why he made phenomenology, you know, the entire purpose is actually to be more analytical, you know? Because yeah. it more resembles like a natural science perspective, right. you know, which is very self critical and like all scientific hypotheses are always being tested you know right like everything is possible at all times i feel like you know there's definitely like a trope that scientists are a bunch of like know-it-alls and like whatever but i think that some of the most open-minded people i've ever been experienced to experience i've ever experienced yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you added the extra bin in there because they're talking about each I time i just feel like that word out. didn't work right there i don't yeah. know what i was saying but uh, yeah some of the most open-minded people i've ever met were natural scientists yeah. and i think it's because of this like they take on a kind of mode that i think is sort of phenomenological like they want to find mm -hmm. the best way to meaningfully categorize things you know so i think that to do this you have to try your best to be open to all possibilities even the most ridiculous right. ones you know because yeah. from that premise of being more open-minded then you can find the best way to categorize information right. which we're definitely going to do no matter what you right because it allows you to like really look you're like looking at the thing and being like what is this uh -huh. and I, I was thinking today about like listening and the way that like listening is kind of like you're allowing yourself to be affected by any by like anything and not and even things that you maybe don't understand yet or like that you think are they're like threatening or bullshit or whatever like just like allowing yourself to be affected by them and you know without like because you limit your own experience like so much to be able to do stuff you know like go about your day or whatever there's like so many things that limit your ability to perceive and so like listening in a way where you're like sitting back and having like a panoramic you're just like letting whatever come in yeah. it's like i feel like that that's yeah. kind of like a part of that yeah. yeah absolutely i think yeah it, it's definitely true i mean being active and actively thinking about something versus being passive yeah. is definitely, I think, a much different cognitive experience. Right. At least it feels that way. Yeah, yeah. But who fucking knows? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who That's knows, what it feels dude? like when I do it. Yeah. But yeah. I think Husserl felt this way, too. Yeah. Like, not to <laughs> make it all about fucking Husserl, but, well, I but that's that why he made every. That's why yeah. all of it phenomenology is structured around this idea of intentionality you know yeah because he felt that was the most fundamental property of consciousness and that that's like where you can like if you say that your whole consciousness or something is like a field intention is like where you you can 
move around in that field and like direct yourself into different things is that what that idea is or what who's Cheryl's idea about intentionality yeah yeah Yeah, well he he felt very strongly that consciousness is at all times reaching out you know it's at all times being responsive to our environment but it seems like consciousness has this very distinct emergent property of intentionality like right now i can listen to you and you can listen to what i'm saying but if you want you can choose to tune me out entirely and listen to the fan behind me you know Mm -hmm. like your consciousness almost seems like a radar you know yeah you can move it around and like scan it and then you also wonder like well, it's crazy, like, if you were to tune me out, you know, and listen to the fan, but then you decided you wanted to pretend you were listening to what I'm saying, you can almost, like, play it back in your head like exactly. a fucking echo. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. consciousness clearly has so many, like, hard-to-describe properties. Movements because and it's, actions and behaviors yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, even when we're sleeping, you know, our body yeah. is at all times listening. Like, if someone makes a sound, comes in at night yeah. to fucking murder me, my body is yeah. going to be like, bitch, no. And Not I like today. I like like clench my jaw in my sleep. You know, you're Me doing too. you're doing so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but we're at all times conscious. But I think that's that's why I like some of the Buddhist books that I've been reading recently. This guy in particular, just because that's what I'm reading. But uh, it feels like he's doing that same phenomenological process where it's just like in meditation, you're just examining your consciousness. And his thing is about not contradicting and like let being able to let more and more in because I think uh, there's different and in different schools of Buddhist thought like Theravada Buddhism, which is like an earlier kind. Uh, you do a, a certain kind of Vipassana meditation where you're told you start focusing on your breath and there's like a whole... Um, codified like trajectory that you go on so you do your breath and then you can like pay attention to like your upper lip and then like your nostril so they add it in until you're like doing your full body and then you can do thoughts and there's like a whole thing to it and what's the purpose like what's the goal of it well i think that wait can you talk more in the microphone i'm just worried it might not be clear hold on i'm moving my head around a lot i'll move your yeah Uh, so what's the point uh, you're like training your mind. You're training your. It's like kind of like a hardcore like training thing where you're trying to develop like a habit of being able to like focus and develop these like stages of of concentration and consciousness where you're not you're not just at the mercy of your thoughts all the time, and you're not just like everything is kind of like a little bit like slower and you have the capacity to like let things go and like just sort of but it's more I feel like that thread is more like training based like you sit and you do you put in the practice and like and the kind of stuff I think that this guy's talking about is more about like letting your mind just like observing your mind and and seeing your own behavior and like seeing the way it, it moves and like ultimately like eliminating that whole like but not not telling you to do anything in particular in right. your head like you're not you're not trying to like focus on your breath or, or anything like that it's just more about like being with yourself in a certain way and and this the descriptions feel like 
phenomenological descriptions totally. where it's just like giving you good images for what happens it's like, helping you kind of create yeah. a map of yourself yeah. yeah which i think yeah phenomenology is definitely very interested into but can i ask you because yeah. like this is my personal yeah. feeling about buddhism mm -hmm. and like all schools of spirituality and like i did a video about this as well because mm -hmm. like everything we're saying you know i'm like okay yeah like phenomenology is like the same thing you know like what why do you think do you think buddhism presents an argument for why it needs to exist in like this more esoteric mode like do you think these things that we're talking about can be achieved in just like a sort of secular school of practice you know yeah. because that's how i feel i feel yeah. like a thing like Buddhism, which seems fine, well, maybe, I don't know, I have some criticisms I want to ask you about, too, yeah. but I think, yeah, like, if we could achieve this with more neutral language, yeah. and neutrality seems to be a thing both schools of thinking, like, yeah. value, why wouldn't we go with the one that's more neutral, yeah, so to speak? Well, this this guy, uh, Trungpa, I keep talking about, he, he actually, like, he was his story is that he was sort of like born into a karma to bring Tibetan Buddhism to the United States because it was like what's a karma karma a purpose it's sort of like a like a thread you know like your karma is kind of like the space that you occupy in the space-time continuum or something <laughs> <laughs> so you're born you're kind of born into a situation so like the situation you're born into is a part of your karma so is it predetermined you, well you're just born into whatever i don't think all buddhist people believe in like determinism like determinism isn't as much of a thing is that what you mean like no i mean predetermined like like like, well, there's no your you. future is set for you basically whatever's going to happen to you is already dictated I think by that some some people force. probably believe that okay but i think the idea i mean because the whole idea of like one description of nirvana or like enlightenment is like basically like uh throwing off your karma like not being involved in this like chain so reaction you can wander thing. away from your karma it's like yeah in the same way that you're born into your you're just dropped into your consciousness when you're born and you have to start trying to like make sense of the world before you even know anything about it and like you have you know your family or not or whatever but that you put all these things in place so i feel like a lot of buddhist images they can be like you can take them like universally or they can also be over the course of a lifetime or they can be over the course of a day or something you know they like expand like that but so that could be kind of like your karma too is like all the shit you put in place in your mind that you're essentially ruled by until you become aware of it and you and you spend a, I feel like I've spent a lot of my adult life like trying to just understand all the like fear that I have or like all the my own psychology and then like recognizing things and either like maybe I don't like use them that much anymore because they like make me anxious or something or then other ones i get excited about that i discover but so, so that's kind of like that could be like karma too yeah yeah so like to go back to this question of secularism versus well he like tried Buddhism. to start us uh, he was like 
Americans are too weirdly obsessed with Buddhism. This is a problem. And so he tried to start a different thing that was called Shambhala that was just supposed to be like a secular. And he, he, he wrote a book and published it because he was like, this is not like the whole thing is like, this is not a big deal. It's nothing special. Like it's not Buddhism. It's just trying to like be practical and like live with yourself and like be more sane. And did he do this with the purpose of encouraging people to not take such like a literalist approach to Buddhism or something? Because it kind of seems just when you're talking about like karma. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I know you. I don't know if you take like a literalist approach to everything you're saying, but it kind of seems like a useful thought model, whether yeah. or not you take it literally. Yeah. So I understand there's like a utility there, but like. Do you find that any of that is, like, necessary? Or not even just necessary, but, like, does it change the process? Like, if I were to try to try to think about all the things we're talking about simply from, like, a yeah. secular phenomenological viewpoint, you know? Do you feel like these experiences are, will be completely different? Like, what's oh. fundamentally different about, like, taking on a more spiritualist approach? Because Buddhism is associated... Yeah. You know, with, like, well, spirituality. And yeah. I think you could potentially... I mean... Another thing that is kind of interesting to me about the idea of karma would be the, the status that, like, our experience is really different, potentially. Like, and it... And so... I, I don't know whether, like you would come to similar experiences or not but it seems like you do like some i th i think that a lot of the descriptions that come out of that match ways that buddhists have of describing it yeah but i think i mean i i think for me i it was nice to have you know because i'm i'm like a like I, I went through a whole Christian thing mm -hmm. that I, I eventually felt completely alienated from, and so I think it was nice for me personally to, it was like okay Buddhism like, this is like an another thing that's like maybe I could, you know it was like more approachable to me for some reason because I was already had all these habits around like being religious yeah but I think that some people could. Like, I feel like I know people who just come to things through having, like, a, like a curious attitude yeah. in life. You know, it's like, well, I think that's you don't like need my it. But frustration yeah. with Buddhism yeah. because I'm like, you know, you see especially a lot of, like, people who call themselves skeptics and rational yeah. thinkers yeah. get into Buddhism, too. Yeah. And I'm like, why everything that seems really intriguing or useful yeah. about Buddhism, things like meditation and shit, I mean, not that that's implicitly yeah. Buddhist, but, you know, like, these are all things. I'm like, why can't we just do this from some sort of secular right. lens, you know? But Well, but and that's the guy, the guy, like, he thought that that was a really big problem, that, that like because Americans he's he, he he I think he felt that Americans were really competitive and like just the mindset where your religious practice becomes your ego and you're still trying to achieve but through like a Buddhist path as opposed to like a Wall Street path or something but that you take the same fucked mentality toward spiritual practice where you're like 
it's like self-hatred and like all this shit but isn't buddhism very much about self-hatred well that's what i'm saying that's he he like oh well no i don't think it's about self-hatred <laughs> let's talk about it's it it's not about self-hatred can you explain to us how buddhism what's the relationship with the ego and the self let's well, talk it, how is ego yeah. defined first of all it is it's it's pretty different it, it can be pretty different depending on like this the schools of buddhism mm -hmm. so i'll just talk about the thing that i've been reading that i kind of also feel more well, familiar tell, with okay but but it's like the three major general. the three major um kind of like threads would be theravada which is like kind of like um they call it the first turning of the wheel of dharma and they also call it the lesser vehicle which is kind of seems kind of fucked up to me but it's like older buddhism sort of and then mahayana buddhism which is like zen and that was like the start of these ideas that like you're already enlightened and and ideas about compassion and uh bringing the world back into it because the early buddhism in a way was like a, could could be seen i think as a kind of like escapism where you're trying to escape the world and uh so with mahayana it was more about being like no nirvana isn't somewhere else it's the same as samsara and then Vajra, vajrayana buddhism is tibetan buddhism and that's when it traveled it traveled through ch you know from india to china this guy bodhidharma and then it came to tibet and they already had like a local religion i think that was called bone and it sort of like combined to be like the the third turning of the wheel of dharma okay and that so that's tibetan and that that's vajrayana and that's like that becomes like more really about like embracing everyday things and like like there's like a famous yeah so and that's where this guy trunkpa is from he's tibetan and what's so the, i think uh, the ego he would say the ego i think is like yeah, yeah, the microphone. Okay, it's yeah, like it's in up, my face. Be up you know? in right, it. Be right. up in the microphone. I'm gonna uh, turn it down a little. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Talk into the mic, please. Yeah, that's <laughs> but uh, I'm just so I think you won't be able to hear it. would say that your ego is kind of like this. cluster of like behaviors and thoughts and emotions that you sort of construct in order to um, stabilize in a world that is impermanent and that is scary to you on some level and so you you do all these things to sort of like solidify something for yourself and you call that yourself um, but it's a sort of like a false idea of separateness so the thing that they're trying to, I guess, transcend in a sense of the ego is not necessarily the idea that you exist as a singular unit. Right. It's the idea that you are implicitly removed from everything around you. Yeah, well, the I think it's more... Because in the Tibetan, it's very practical. Like, they don't... It's like they don't deny, I think it's like a problem that you can get too lofty with these things. Like they don't mm -hmm. deny like that 
there's like earthy you know it's about energy and like that there's like an earthy quality to things and that like objects you're like with objects you're in a world and stuff like that but it, so I think it's more about being like all of this that you're you're just a part of the world and and I think that that's the main point not that not that there's like not that you don't exist but I think for one definitely that categories don't exist you know that's like the big like emptiness thing is that like any all of th or so much of thought is just about creating these categories and solidifying these categories that don't exist mm -hmm. and that you can spend you could potentially spend your whole life inside of that you know and and so that's one thing that i guess maybe could be seen but even that it's like it's not that that doesn't exist because it's also sort of like a false idea to try to like deny that you have thoughts like that or something like that it's it's a way of like uh kind of like non-attachment i think right. is the main thing where you're not attached to any certain thing and like in this I, and i think the attitude is kind of like a little bit like the listening thing the phenomenological listening mm -hmm. thing where you're really like just available in a certain way and you know they talk about openness a lot and being so you're able not to you're not pitting yourself as the enemy you're exactly. not being anti-self you're yeah. you're trying to use what you know or what you think you know about the world to um well you come to the conclusion that there's so many trappings you can fall into you know yeah. like we were saying things that show themselves through like language and this yeah. overuse of the word is and stuff yeah. so you're born into a world where the where so much has already been structured for right. you and meaning assigned to everything so since you are the vehicle yeah. as yourself for <laughs> making meaning out of these things right. or choosing to to adhere to these value systems it makes sense then that yeah buddhism becomes almost like it becomes introspective with the purpose of having more meaningful perspective on yeah. the world yeah would you say that yeah and like uh i think That part of the idea is that, like, even the construction of your ego is not. It's like kind of. It's like kind of amazing, and it's it. It's like an instinctual thing, and in that it's not like a. It's not a thing to like hate yourself for doing. It was like a really. It was like the best idea you had at that time, or like it was like you just started working with what you had, and you start constructing this thing, and you're just like literally just like doing your best at every right. moment or something like that so it, so i think there is something there too about how you have to like embrace that or like embrace your own intelligence in that way to be like actually like <laughs> and this whole thing is complicated now but it was like pretty yeah right. it like and the entire me. purpose is self-betterment yeah at the end of the day yeah. so but someone just said in the chat and this is something i wanted to ask you about as well we were talking about it last night in phenomenology club they, well, this is their full comment. They said, Buddhism promotes non-attachment as a means to minimize suffering. And I wanted to ask you about Buddhism's relationship to suffering now that you've talked about the ego a bit because that yeah. was something I've always like felt wary of, like yeah. Buddhism's ex explanation of the ego. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, I, f- I feel like I understand. I have a less negative <laughs> yeah. viewpoint now. Like that, talking about it like that, I think, yeah, that that sounds better than what I've come to understand yeah. about Buddhism. But what what is their relationship like with suffering? Because it does seem to be a big part of Buddhist theory. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the idea is just that everybody suffers and that to a greater or lesser degree you can find yourself in a place where you feel really confused and you know whatever your style of that is like anxiety or depression or like you you can get into these places where you really are suffering like you just experience like it's it's not it doesn't feel good to be alive or like you feel confused about that or like and that's like a a certain brand of it I guess that I think about but there's also just like bodily suffering and all those things that that like yes I don't know but I don't last night how they have different kinds of suffering it's like physical emotional social and I think the ultimate thing is death in a way that like suffering because Suffering is also, I don't even know, it's probably a translation of a Sanskrit word, and I don't even know if that's like, there's probably a a, a deeper meaning to, I think it's dukkha. Oh, yeah, the, the one person that yeah. said that suffering can also be understood as general dissatisfaction or yeah. discontentment, not necessarily suffering. But I think it's also death, too, in in that, like, there's so much about, like, being able to like recognize your own death and that I think that would be like another spin on like what suffering is just just mm-hmm. the fact that if you develop an ego you are going to experience alienation and that is feels bad or something so but suffering also comes by way of falling into the trappings of the ego exactly Mm. but that you it's not like you're but again you're like born into it Mm -hmm. and you're born into a karma or something but But it is pretty like central to the ideology right it seems like or is that do you think that that might just be like a western perspective on buddhism because i feel like every time i see stuff about buddhism it's very much about suffering and what's up with those guys that like pull shit with their balls and their dicks and like i've seen buddhists like drill holes in their heads with like fucking like what is this about i saw a guy he was a hindu people i know that do that are like I think they're called... You know people that do this? No, no, I don't know anyone, (laughs) but, like, the group of people are, like, the sadhus, like, the Hindu holy people. And I saw a guy who buried himself up to his neck for seven days. Holy shit. We watched them put him in the ground, and he was in, like, a full body cast. And he just just stood in a cast, buried up to his neck for seven days. And they they made, like, a... There was, like, like, an altar around him. And you could go up and look at him... And you would like approach him and he would just look you like, it was like this head on the ground that He's was like looking the Indian David Blaine. right in the <laughs> eye, like, you know, and you could go like, you would give him like offerings oh and stuff. But, uh, but I think that maybe something that happened, suffering is like the first noble truth. What are the noble truths? The fundamental, I don't even know if I can remember them all. It's like the suffering, the cause of suffering, the 
one of them's like Nirvana and one of them's The Path. But that was like the first, I don't know if it was like the first, it was like a really fundamental Buddhist text. And so I think that probably there's something where that was also the first stuff that made its way into like American scholarship or something. Mm -hmm. So there is probably something where like everybody who studied Buddhism in the United States has read that first as like the fundamental idea of Buddhism. But I think that they all deal with suffering a little different. And I was going to say that I think with that, uh, I had, there was a, uh, I went to a Zen retreat one time and the guy, one of the things that he said to us was that you shouldn't treat meditation like therapy. You shouldn't like approach meditation being like, I'm going to feel better. Mm. And this is my like way to feel better. And he was specifically making the point that even that like intention or desire clouds your ability to see what you're doing and that that's a certain kind of like ego game in itself that you're like trying to make yourself better or something that that's a way of struggling with yourself and it gets in the way of even seeing so that's an example of just like uh the focus not necessarily being on suffering but that 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 in some level is what draws you toward trying to sort this stuff out in the first place. Like some experience of like Suffering is the impetus for even desiring a thing like Buddhism. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel... Okay, sorry. I'm checking our levels. How's our levels? I'm moving my head around a lot. Yeah, Andy wasn't... can't speak directly into All microphones. Right. I'm gonna try. That's the I'm first try rule of Buddhism. Be- I'm gonna try to do better. It's my Buddhist practice well, okay. right now. I'm trying to ride my these Buddhist levels. practice is gonna be speaking into the microphone. I don't know. Someone in the chat, please, please. Are we at the same level? Are we at the same level? It looks like it. I think. I don't know. Who fucking knows? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um. What was I saying? Yeah. Do you do you feel like okay? Like that example you just gave. That that's really interesting. Like don't approach anything you know with like a purpose because even the thought of having a purpose for doing a thing is going to guide your thought trajectories in a way that could be harmful yeah but do you think that same idea can be applied to like maybe the structuring of buddhism itself like yeah like because i was talking about this with someone last night like do you even like framing any ideology around a thing like you know, uh, well, whatever you you make central to your ideology, yeah. I think is going to transform the ideology itself. So like, and I'm not sure right. if this is an accurate representation, like we were saying, but if you make like suffering the central focus of like your spirituality or something or like whatever, like like you become obsessed with suffering, yeah, kind of, yeah, or like avoiding it, or like like who's even to say that suffering is a thing to be avoided? Yeah, but it seems like that could be a that could be a popular boot attitude too like you don't need to necessarily like respond to or engage with suffering like maybe just let it fucking happen yeah and that you might not even know what's suffering like you you don't even maybe know where how you're suffering or like what suffering is you know that you might have like a whole idea about suffering that's actually comforting to you that you're using all the time to like self comfort. Oh my god, you know? <laughs> it's so deep. So but, your but ideas about suffering yeah, could are be a security blanket. Self- oh yeah. my god. But but then you could say like you're still suffering because like you're deluding yourself into falsities. <laughs> 
about suffering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it could go on forever. Yeah. Uh, um, what about let's? Oh, buttress is a little louder. That's because my frequencies are so fucking high, like a knife. Thank you, though. Okay. You cannot act without thinking of yourself. Everything is driven by survival of self, somebody says. Well, actually, I was just going to ask you about this. As I think it's relevant, we could bring it all back, just like we almost just yeah. did. Oh. Everything connected. <laughs> yeah. Talking about things like being, states of being, you yeah. know, and the self. Like, this is a thing I think that's very relevant to phenomenology, Buddhism, and like E prime, which yeah. you're talking about, you know. Does Buddhism like speak much on the nature of being? Like, what is being? Someone last night asked in the chat, what does be mean or no what does is mean as a word yeah. and is is a form of to be but what is being you know yeah. like does buddhism speak much from what you've seen about what is it well i think that's like the question that they think is misguided or something mm. that like trying to figure out what it is is essentially trying to define something yeah that's and that so that's really what, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? yeah so they just want to get out of that or something yeah yeah i could see that well let's go back to an earlier thing too yeah. maybe maybe we'll see where the conversation takes us if we can make allusions back to we're at 45 minutes, too, so we should only go for, like, 15 more minutes okay. max. So let's end okay. on this. I was thinking about improvisation, you know, because mm -hmm. that's a thing we both do. You have much more experience with it. And I think that ideas about being, especially, are really yeah. interesting in the realm of thinking about improvisation. Because, you know, the act of doing improvisation is so, like, always in the moment. Yeah. And you, when you're in this moment, have to try your best to, like, be considerate of like the beginning of your improvisational performance right. where it's going to go it's like all about like being suspended in time you know like right what and you're someone who's really like studied improvisation like you are very you've committed yourself to the practice yeah. you know like can you tell us maybe like what do you feel are things you've learned as you've gone on doing improvisation like were there were there times in your practice where like you felt like you had a breakthrough like what yeah. ideas are central to you about imp improving? well like i said i feel like i have learned a lot in the last year with this guy jake who play he plays the cello and he makes electronic music and he can kind of do both of those live but that was like I, I when I was doing that I was I was feeling like I actually you know it's a feeling where I'm like I've never never improvised before actually now I'm what? really doing it but but just that I think it was a switch from I think a lot of trying to improvise for me for a long time was just trying to be present and like like you know trying to be just like in the moment and like able to like follow a thread or something uh, and to stay engaged with, with it. But then I think, cause our, our rehearsals were super laid back. We would have like dinner sometimes and just like, and um, I think I started to do improvisation more like, 
that felt like, okay, I don't have maybe as hard of a time, I think just because I was doing it more often, I don't have as hard of a time being present. So now that I'm present, like, what am I doing? Or like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And and for me, that's a lot of just like um, feeling like mechanics of my body or like sensations or things like that and like following those and like finding new finding new ways to I think what I do in when I'm working with Jake is like I it feels like opening up a new dimension in my body and then figuring out what it is and like how I can use it or work with it and it's nice to do that with music because you have something to respond to Mm -hmm. so even if I start to get like lost I can anchor it back into music and so I guess it now in a way that I really like, it feels more exploratory or something as opposed to like, like I think I just, it was really stressful for me previously or and something. Improving is super yeah. stressful. Yeah. Like when we were just talking about it, when we did the first protive, I was fucking terrified. I was super stressed. There, in that video, you can see I like hide for a little while. Really? Like, cause there's so much fog from the fog machine, but there's a part where like, I clearly don't really know what to do. <laughs> and I kind of just like crouch in the back for it's, like a while. Cause it's like, it's yeah. terrifying. Like, yeah. and even I had some experience performing live, like doing music, which, like we're saying, it was so much easier because there's ultimately sort of a script. Like, yeah. you know, I just do the song and I leave. But having to improv yeah. is very difficult. And I think, too, the most difficult thing about it for myself, something I really want to do and something I really admire in Adam in particular because yeah, totally. I think he's Me too. really yeah, great he's at this. Amazing. But, yeah, but the way that he can, like, hold the gaze of the yeah. audience that's the thing that fucks me up yeah. every time I make eye contact with someone new and I'm not speaking about like musical performance because I feel like I'm okay at like <laughs> looking at people when I'm performing yeah. but but do like improv improving like during proto and stuff yeah. that's difficult like I want to like get in people's faces and be weird and shit but I swear every time I hold the gaze of someone in the audience it's a new feeling and yeah. it's like you feel it's conscious panicky. of them perceiving yeah. you and yeah it yeah. is it's like as soon as it happens it's like oh shit what do I do exactly. and you're already in the like oh shit what do I do mode yeah. when you're improving so yeah. then to like every time you make eye contact with someone in the crowd you got a little oh shit yeah. like <laughs> And then you lose it, and I'm like, no. And then you like, oh, and then you go hide behind the fog machine for like 20 minutes. <laughs> go roll around naked for a bit in the corner. This is yeah. my routine while yeah. I think about what's gonna happen next. <laughs> but that's been kind of nice with the 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 last one that we did, and then the one in Chicago where we have like two and a half hours or three hours. I think that's been easier to like, because part of it is being able to be calm. I think like being able to explore something it takes some level of being calm with yourself so like i mean it's the same for me even i mean it's in a performance but also sometimes in conversation and stuff like making eye contact is really intense and like Mm -hmm. hard to to you know it makes you uncomfortable or something so like being able to be comfortable in that it's a little easier when it's three hours because you don't have to sometimes you can't do something for three hours straight so you can just sort of like listen for a little bit or like whatever yeah, yeah. so i think better doing not longer be solo stuff, performance yeah. that yeah. would be hard <laughs> as hell three hour solo performance yeah, just one person oh god that's some endurance piece bullshit yeah yeah 
Oh shit! I so, was just gonna say something. Listening is it. the big part of imp- improvising, I think, or that's yeah. like what I'm excited about, or one thing I'm excited about with mm-hmm. imp- improvising is that you're you're trying to listen to what is hap- is actually happening, and, mm-hmm. or whatever. You're just trying to listen to what's going on and listen to like yourself, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And that's cool. Like I think that the the piece that we were sort of doing that we maybe performed three or four times, it really did feel like, because we would use projectors too, so there would be like a wall with like projector feedback. And then uh, Jake was playing a lot of like drones that had a lot of feedback tones in them. Mm-hmm. And then, and other stuff. He did a lot of different things actually. But, and then, so I felt like my role in the improvisation was just to like, move my awareness around and all those things and so sometimes I would be paying a little bit of attention to the to the projections and like having that affect like my internal sense Mm -hmm. or like moving more with the music and like just kind of putting myself in relation to all the different elements in a way of just sort of like the way you you roam around your own consciousness kind of totally Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's probably easy to see, like, how a thing like Buddhism or phenomenology, whatever, like, both of these things and just this general, making any sort of general commitments to trying to understand yourself and how you react in your immediate, like, perceptual response to things can totally, like, help your artistic practice in really crazy ways. Totally. Whether it's improv or even, you know, a thing that you sit and make at home, like working yeah. on music or whatever. I feel like all of these ideas are so relevant. And also just, like, general senses of well-being, like we've been exactly. talking about tonight. Like, I feel like, and we were just talking about now with the performance, like, anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'm really totally. intrigued. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. I really like, like, this idea. I like what you said that one guy said. Because this is how I personally have battled my own anxiety. Yeah. I just let it happen. Yeah, yeah. And, like. Like that, like once I finally, I think it came about by like becoming exhausted by it. Or you can't, <laughs> yeah, you can't like body, push it away anymore. Yeah, my just, body like, is so tired yeah. of being this shook little bitch. Yeah, that I was just like, fuck it, I'm anxious. Yeah, like, I'm this anxious person, all the time. Yeah, like this I'm fucking anxious all the time. Person is gonna see me shaking like yeah. a fucking leaf. I'm just yeah. gonna do it, and then I'm gonna walk away, and my yeah. life will be fine. Whatever. And even now, right. it still happens. Like I'll get super high and go to Rite Aid. Yeah, I, there's something <laughs> wrong with me. Like I can't stand in lines. Do you get this? When I stand in line waiting to check out, all of a sudden panic hits me. It gets freaky. Yeah, yeah. like if there's a line I, and I have to start waiting, I'll shake. Like by the time I get to the front, I'm like You're shaking like, ah! just to pay with a debit card. Yeah. But then like I seriously like I'll be like seriously shaking. Like the person yeah. probably thinks I have yeah. an MS or something. And then as soon as I'm out of Rite Aid, I, I'm fine. Like, I feel uh, great. I just I'm, But now I just laugh at it. I'm like, dude, yeah. that person probably thought I was going to shoot up Rite Aid or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's hilarious. Like I can't find this i'm pretty sure anxiety yeah. too is like a pretty natural response it's like just fucking let it rip it'll yeah. go away <laughs> like and then you realize like how i mean if it is insignificant you realize once you like let it out you're like oh yeah. i'm just like shaking it right aid like yeah. it's not a big deal <laughs> yeah you know? exactly because it seems natural because for a long time i felt like oh i'm gonna find the way i'm gonna find the way to get yeah. rid of it yeah, and i yeah. really don't think there is a way no, like i'm a pretty things. social person yeah. like i can get up in front of people and like perform like pretty easily but i'm still gonna have like a random panic attack yeah. at right aid right like i think Every i just have to accept that it's like who cares it's yeah. funny like it's not yeah. a big deal yeah just fucking you just let have it to go dude it. yeah 
Yeah. Except that everything is nothing. <laughs> I like being. But it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I That's love true, it. though. Like, even with, like, if you're working on stuff alone, like, I noticed one time I was in the dance studio and I was doing something and I was like, I was like, that's dumb. That, like, that looks stupid. Like, what are you doing? And then I was like, what am I doing? I'm in this room all alone. And I'm like telling myself I can't do certain things because they don't because they don't look good or something, you know, where it's like that's like I have the same fear like with myself, you know, yeah. and those things get in the way of being like, I can just, yeah. you know, it pursuing fucking it. Matter. Yeah. That's I know. Sometimes I wonder if it's a trap because this is something I feel like I've taken with myself in general, being critical yeah. of myself. Like I am yeah. critical of myself, Policing but yourself. in general, like, you know, when like feelings of like. I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing this enough, blah, blah, blah. I'm just kind of like, whatever, I don't care. Like, yeah. I'm always going to find something wrong I'm doing. I just yeah, don't even listen to myself, criticize myself, which sometimes I'm like, maybe I should listen a little bit, <laughs> but I just, like, can't. I'm like, man, fuck you, shut up. Yeah, because you got to just keep keep going. You yeah. Keep working. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what am I going to do? I'm yeah. going to try. What am I going to do, sit around and, like, try to please yeah. you all day long? I mean, yeah. I am myself. I'm the other <laughs> voice, too, so yeah. I obviously feel this way, yeah. so I obviously am doing something about it because I'm reprimanding myself right. in my head. I'm out here reprimanding yeah. myself. I'm yeah. all alone in my room. So I'm, I'm already like, on it. On my ass. Yeah, I'm on my own <laughs> yeah. ass. Yeah, even if I don't yeah. listen to that voice telling me yeah. in that moment, that's still it's my like, that's voice stupid. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're good. Yeah. We're fine. Yeah, it's all me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, so we're coming up in an hour. Okay. I think that's a good place to wrap this cool. up. Um, again, we're performing October fourth in Bro- is it Brooklyn? Yeah. yeah. Uh no, it's in Manhattan. It's in Alpha In Manhattan. Yeah. Ooh. Come on out if you're in the area and see me and Andy and Adam Rose and others. Antibody. Antibody protive civil war. Yeah. 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 What's the venue? Grace something? It's either called Gray Space or like 183 Avenue C or something like okay. that. Okay. I'll post them yeah. on my Twitter accounts. Yeah. That's probably the best place to find it. Um, And Andy doesn't have a website. But I, I do have um, some videos up somewhere, so I'll... Okay, we'll send yeah, them to we'll me, and I'll them. put them in yeah, the description. I'll probably find them. Thanks yeah. for speaking with us. Now me and Andy are going to go me. get weird and improv and have a great fucking time. So, we'll see you guys later. Bye. <laughs>